You may not personally know Gabe Davidson and Rochelle Harrison, but you surely must have tasted their chocolate by now, as they are the hands, minds and hearts behind the Wellington Chocolate Factory. Gabe and Rochelle already have a wicked story to tell, but that story keeps getting better, as today we are here to talk about an adventure that's never been done before, the Great Wellington Chocolate Voyage. Gabe and Rochelle, welcome to B-Side Stories on Access Radio. Now, you guys have already started on this next chapter, but what is the Wellington Chocolate Voyage about? Well, back in June... I took a, I got interested in uh, Bougainville, the autonomous region of Bougainville, which is just off the coast of Papua New Guinea. Right. Um, their main export is cocoa, so it's very important to the Bougainvillean people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I went in, and went on a fact-finding mission and uh, connected with a farmer over there. So your farmer, now his name is James Rutana. Can you tell us a little bit more about him and his world? Sure. Well, James is a bit of a cocoa legend in Bougainville. And in fact, in Papua New Guinea, he studied economics in in London. um, And his passion for cocoa and cocoa growing and assisting farmers with education has taken him to work on cocoa projects in Jamaica. He's worked in the industry in New York. He's he's even had dinner with the Queen one time for his contribution to Papua New Guinea and cocoa. (laughs) So uh, he's been, he planted his first cocoa tree in 1958. So some people refer to him simply as Mr. Cocoa. So we've sort of found and stumbled across, I suppose, a a true living cocoa legend. Yeah. So how did you meet James then? Because that's quite an amazing thing to, to just happen as well. Yeah, well, we were approached by a lady from, um, it's called Sarah, from right. Tui International. Um, and she approached us going, oh, we've got these beautiful cocoa beans. Would you like to try some? Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, with th- she started by volunteering in Bougainville right. um, with the VSA. And then she ended up working for an organisation called Tuia. Tuia assists governments in the South Pacific with their with their policy. So she's been working with Tuia for a number of years and it sort of means that she works between Bougainville and Wellington. Um, she was she was a bit of a hot chocolate fan, so right. <laughs> she's a regular customer. And one day she happened to say, would you be interested in so a couple of kilos of the beans from her part of where she would go in Bougainville? And we said, of course. And then we got chatting. I got more and more fascinated right. with the region, um, and that's how it all started. That's fantastic. So Sarah could actually see the opportunity by understanding the yes. world of Bougainville and that, that cocoa was a big big contributor economically. So did yeah. she know James herself before before this adventure started? She knew of him. Right, okay. Yeah. And wow. I, to be honest, knew very little of Bougainville. I didn't even know it was a place that it existed. I thought it was somewhere in New Zealand, to be honest. Oh, Gabe, I love that. And I think that's a reality for all of us. And even in the story, we're yeah. all coming to understand. And for you guys, what's so important, really quite local. Well, if you haven't seen the movie Mr. Pip, it should give you a very good idea about Bougainville. Was there anything about the people themselves that that struck you as being quite special or something that you would like to work with? Definitely. There's a a real sense of optimism 
entrepreneurship and they're just keen and proud of they're very proud of bougainvilleans right and they're just you have to sort of be careful because you know you'll mention one one thing and they'll get so excited yeah um so since the civil war ended they've been rebuilding they're still rebuilding from that 10 year civil war yeah so about 20 many about 20,000 people died in that civil war in yeah. and but, it's not a very big place either have yeah. you got a bit of history on that for us there Gabe um, Rio Tinto opened one of the world's largest open cut copper mines in Bougainville right and there was a lot of environmental impact with associated with the mine mm. and local people started to protest and started to interfere and when, which is when the Papua New Guinea government came in to try and control things and then uh, there was uh, the local people formed an army themselves they they made homemade guns and um, they restricted their access so Papua New Guinean government respect, restricted their access to diesel so they made they went up into the hills and made their own biodiesel out of coconuts and they just really sort of (laughs) grassroots you know um grassroots you know fighting back for what for their land basically um and while i was over there i met the speaker of parliament who him and the the president near the end of the civil war fled to the solomons on their way to new zealand and then it was new zealand and these two individuals that brokered the peace deal that ended the civil war so there's this lovely connection between bougainville and new zealand and once we sail the the uh the ships uh the beans in it'll be the first time since before the civil war that there's been direct trade between us uh bougainville and new zealand wow I, I think I've got uh, an emotional moment happening. <laughs> what about the people there? Did they know about New Zealand and any yes. things that were going on here? There's a New Zealander living right next to Mr. Coco, actually. Oh, was that the other gentleman in the in the photo? Yes. Yeah, his yeah. name is Gary. He has been living... <laughs> How convenient that Gary <laughs> and James are living next yeah, to yeah. <laughs> I think, do you feel that this is a meant-to-be kind of path? Absolutely. <laughs> they, they love Kiwis, it's, you know, and they know what we, that we were involved with ending their civil war, and right, yeah. they have a really positive attitude towards us. So when uh, Kiwi, uh, who has a chocolate factory, um, went over there, it was actually the first time that somebody who's involved in the sort of the end processing of the cocoa beans has gone over and and discussed quality um all of it's their number one export as i mentioned but all of their cocoa gets put into confectionery so bought up largely by companies like mars and uh so they get the same price, which is about $3.50 New Zealand per kilo, regardless of the varietal or quality of the cocoa bean. So there's very little incentive for them to work hard to grow the best quality when it's all it's just the same price, it doesn't make any difference. And then just put into a massive big blend with no acknowledgement even on on the difference. Exactly. And unfortunately yeah. too, they're so proud of Bougainville but oh. it gets put into sacks with PNG oh. on it. So it's it's yeah. a shame, mm. you know, that and when I went back there, I'm not sure if you've seen that video that went viral with the 
chocolate makers taking some chocolate samples back to growers in Africa. So, you know, Rochelle and I had made some chocolate that I took over to Bougainville with me, yeah. and and we made it exactly the same. So, seventy percent chocolate from Bougainville, and I, I also took some from Madagascar and Peru. Right. But that is the first time that most of those farmers had tried their own cocoa beans. So quite quickly I was wow. been asked to talk in front of 50 farmers <laughs> about quality and it sort of it, it got a little out of hand um, and I kept having to remind people we're only little, we're yeah, only small, yeah. but if we can prove that Bougainville is a world-class cocoa-growing region, then I'm sure it'll come to the attention of other craft bean-to-bar makers around the world and mm-hmm. could be a significant, yeah. um, make, make a great impact. Wow. Does James have a vision for the cocoa growers in PNG or Bougainville? Well, he has been developing pest-resistant clones, and he's put a lot of research into it. He's been giving away his prized seedlings for free to other neighbouring farmers. Yeah, he's just, just help them out. What and a so <clears throat> what's happened? What I've sort of recognised is that um, there are a number of large multinational or a couple of large multinational organisations who have come in and they're proliferating this one type of cocoa which is right. high yielding, um, easy to grow um, and it's sort of threatening the other rare more interesting right. varietals yep. and so yeah. they've taken a lot of James's research and sort of left him by the wayside so he's he has 100 hectares and he can grow the highest quality varietals in the world on his land um, and he wants to try and, after speaking with me, which the week before I arrived, he said he was about to give up cocoa. Um, and after speaking and learning about the craft chocolate revolution that's happening around the world, he got quite excited to learn that there were people like us, even though we're small, yeah. who would pay two to three times what he's been used to getting per kilo for his cocoa beans if the quality is there. Wow. So I've got a song about miracles turning up now as well at the moment. So just to recap that, (laughs) James was about to stop his business. He'd lost hope or faith. He was going to sort of split up and maybe sell off his 100 hectares. And uh, that's what he he told me. We sat down in his training shed over a cup of tea and uh, with Gary, who's been there, his neighbour for 30 years, the Kiwi. and yeah, it was it was sad to think that he felt there was no option. Um, and it's because it is quite an isolated part of the world. Right. Yeah. And um, and this bean to bar revolution is relatively new. Yeah. So for you, with the Bougainville bean, was there is there a taste that you can oh, yeah. describe? So that's that's what was different. It? Rum raisin and smoky smoky bacon. <laughs> It's very different tasting chocolate. It's got um, it's an awesome flavour. It's very yeah. different. Um, they smoke dry it on their farm, so it gets a little bit of smokiness right. with it. But they are going to sun dry our some as well, so we'll have a smoky one and a sun dried one in the future. Nice. <laughs> I guess it's worth mentioning that it's uh, not intentional the smoky characteristics of their beans, yeah. which personally I like it. It's yeah. very different yeah. um, and. Papua New Guinea and Bougainville are quite unique in the world. They've got a very moist climate, so they have to actually build a fire. There's a kiln and they lay the beans out in order for them to dry, whereas most other parts of the world, they can sun dry it because the beans will dry out in a few days. So a lot of their equipment, their cocoa bean drying equipment, is in need of repair. So smoke 
escapes into the beans. Yeah. So what we're working with James to do is is to fund an upgrade of his cocoa drying facility so that we can have the choice whether we want clean flavoured beans right. or we can ask him, look, can you let a bit of smoke in there like a like a peaty beautiful scotch or something, you know. But it's, we want to have the choice <laughs> of smoky or, or clean flavoured beans. Is, is James able to supply <clears throat> Yeah, James away? has quite, uh, definitely more than enough <clears throat> capacity to supply us. Um, he's very excited to be working with us yeah. to get a I better bet. price for his cocoa. Um, he's also very excited for Bougainville in general to focus on quality cocoa and to get a better price because he feels that that could be a real, a sort of a viable alternative to reopening the mine that was at the heart of the civil war in the first place, which there's a lot of talk around reopening. So no. if we can get there <laughs> first and, and other you chocolate makers like us, that it's made. Yes, um, then potentially <clears throat> it could be proven to all it is a more sustainable income for that region. Agriculture is more sustainable than mining. Mining's not. Absolutely. And the, the people will, you know, it could be history repeating itself. So better to better to focus on, on renewable sources of income. When James grows the beans, how are you going to get them to New Zealand? The first shipment will sail the beans with James and Rochelle and I and uh, in a sailing ship directly from Bougainville to Wellington because currently... As I mentioned, there are no direct trade routes between Bougainville and Wellington. So you're going to carve out your own? So, yeah, you know, I've got a friend who's a good skipper in, in Australia and he's found, uh, he's got two friends each with, with a boat. We've just got to choose which one that we'll use and we'll just go on a wee bit of a sailing adventure, which should be yeah, a bit should, of fun. It should take about three weeks to come to go from Bougainville to New Zealand. But usually when you're exporting, you've got to go from Bougainville to one of the mainlands into New Zealand. And just going from Bougainville to the mainland just costs just as much as going from the mainland to New Zealand. Right. So it is expensive well, know, getting the beans out. Yeah. yeah, it's probably going to be, at the end of the day, a little more expensive to sail them, but it makes for yeah. a lovely story and a nice yeah. connection. So now that mm. you've met James and you've, you've started a relationship, you've seen that he's got the potential... And Bougainville's got potential to grow amazing beans that could go out to a global boutique or bean-to-bar chocolate market. Yeah. How are you going to get this baby off the ground? We are about to launch a Kickstarter. Woohoo! Um, yes. We will be partly funding it as we would, you know, beans from any other region right. as as a business. And partly funding it with our Kickstarter. Why do you want to, to run a Kickstarter campaign for this? There's a few reasons. Um, Kickstarter gives us great exposure for the project. Yep. For those people who don't know that Bougainville is a world-class cocoa-growing region, we'll yep. find out. Um, we want to raise James Rutana's profile as a world expert. Um, and... We also will be using a large portion of, if this Kickstarter is successful, a large portion of that to upgrade James's drying facility. Yeah. Um, and, you know, anything left over we want to put forward to Bougainville to improve their situation. 
most people would say that surely it's easier to buy beans without having to actually back the grower as well. Why do you, Rochelle and Gabe, want to do business in this way? Um, well, at the moment, we're you know we've had a lot of great help with trade aid and fair right. trade and getting beans in, but it's still not quite a, a, a direct connection with the actual farmer. So the cooperatives that we're working with now, they come from a variety of farms. Right. So really, we really don't know 100% where the beans exactly are coming from right. and which farms they're coming from. Which, which And also which strain or variety. Yeah, and which variety. Because usually in the cocoa farm, they'll have quite a few different varieties of trees growing in one area. Right. So now we can really pinpoint the actual... Is it a Forestero? Is it a Corolla? Is it a Trinitario? You know, so they can actually mark the trees and just pick them from the trees we want the varieties to come from. So we can really personalise our chocolate. There's so many parallels between what we're doing in the wine industry. Yes. So uh, I guess it's the difference that's, between a that's single. It's good actually to hear that for our listeners. I think that will help understand, us understand too. Yeah. 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 Well, there are two main types of cocoa tree. Yeah. Um, there's the Forestero, which makes up 90% of the world's production and, and there's a hundred it's a hundred billion dollar a year industry made up of 90 percent one type of tr- uh, bean so if you know your coffee it's, it's kind of like robusta right and then the other one is criollo which makes up one percent of the world's production and that's more like arabica right then there's a hybrid of the two which was hybridized in trinidad which is called trinitario and that makes the other nine percent uh-huh. so we've got mm. We use only Trinitario or Criollo. We don't yeah. we don't use any Forestero in our blends. And getting back to what Rochelle was explaining about um, not quite knowing which varietals, you know, if we if we get say Madagascan beans, it is a cooperative in there. It's one of the finest origins in the world. I think it's one of my favourites. Yeah, they but, actually have to um, guard their farms wow. in Madagascar because of poachers. It's yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's it's quite the, yeah. the crazy yeah. world yeah, of chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. Well, it used to be a currency, it was, right? So, back in the mine and Aztec days. Yeah. Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but now we know yeah, why. It was probably the food of the gods, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is. But it's, well, that's it what is. Theobroma it, cacao it, relates, yeah. translates to. It's the name of the tree. Yeah. Food of the Food gods. Food of the gods. Okay. Yeah. So with working closely with James, you know, similar to like I mentioned about the wine industry, we can call it a single estate as opposed to a single yeah. origin. <laughs> and we've got so much more. James has offered to collaborate with us if we want particular strains. Um, he'll plant them for us. So yeah. we're really working together closely at the ground level to get the best quality cocoa that we can possibly produce. Mm. Rochelle, how did you know you wanted to make chocolate? Um, well, being a pastry chef for such a long time and and always knowing, it's always good to know what you're eating, where it's coming from. Right. Um, you just couldn't see it in chocolate. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've tasted some fine chocolate through my life and, and just with all the commercial stuff that's getting imported into New yep. Zealand, you just got to be this day and age so careful where you're getting what you're eating where it's coming from and yeah so I just sort of started researching a little bit more and sort of realised hey there's actually no one in New Zealand making chocolate except for Whitakers. Right. Gabe what do you love about what you're doing? Well it's it's just you know it's one of those the more you know you more the more you right. know you don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what I love about chocolate is it's it's 
it's some it's a you know I've dedicated my foreseeable future to this in the chocolate industry to something that is essentially not essential for human survival but very essential at the same time uh, yeah. I'm yep. I'm just really excited. I mean, wait what minute, excites wait me? We all need chocolate. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's essential for the growers, and it's essential for everybody down the chain. And what I love about the chocolate industry is, it's well, I believe it's a it's a great force for good in the world if it's done right. So everybody from the farmer and their families, right yeah. through to the health giving benefits of chocolate lovers who eat good quality chocolate, everybody wins. So from an ethical business owner's standpoint, I couldn't I couldn't want for a for a better industry to be involved in. What is the next wicked part of this story that we Wellingtonians will get to experience? Well, this particular story with Bougainville, um, everybody can get involved and I hope you do with the Kickstarter. For twenty dollars, you'll get one of James's chocolate bars mailed to you. Wow! Once we've once we've sailed the first ton of beans over, yeah. and that right up to tours of our factory and the top pledge, which there are only two spaces for, is ten thousand dollars, and you can come on the adventure with us. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> so you can sail, do the sail back into New Zealand from Bougainville. Is that the adventure? Yeah. And we will be stopping over on some islands, perhaps uh, Vanuatu, and on the way to restock and and keep going. So three to four weeks should be enough time. There are so many... (laughs) This bean-to-bar craft chocolate revolution has really spreading... It sort of started in New York with a a chocolate factory called the Mars Brothers. Um, And since then, it's sort of taken off like specialty coffee and craft beer. Um, Mostly Central and South American origins... Uh, a lot of Madagascar, um, but there's less less people focusing on beans that are grown in our neck of the woods. Yeah. So anywhere north, 20 degrees north or south of the equator, which includes a lot of the Pacific Islands, yes. are growing cocoa beans. It's yeah, our point of yeah. difference yes. is, is, is presenting these beans to the rest of the world because like wine and coffee, depending on the soil or the varietal, every bean has its own unique flavour and there are a lot of chocolate lovers out there who are, are quite used to the Madagascar flavour. I'm, you know, we're used to Peru, but not many people know the beans of the no. South Pacific. I think we have <laughs> the answer here, ladies and gentlemen. We are simply just going to eat more good chocolate. Well, I, I sometimes <laughs> like to say we want our customers to eat less chocolate, but the right chocolate. 